0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple Podcast. The show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing.
1: Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Hayato Hori. Hayato owns a wholesaling company, that does 15 to 20 deals per month. He currently lives in California but is doing deals in Memphis, Tennessee, Cleveland, Ohio, and St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome to the show, Hayato.
0: Thank you so much for having me, having me daily.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited and you're just absolutely killing it in the wholesale game <laughs> and it's just it's insane because I know I know your story. I know we we connected a few times, but the listeners mm-hmm. don't know your beginnings, how you got started. So, if you would, let's start there and tell the listeners what got you into real estate and how you got started?
0: Yeah, sure, no problem. So, about two or three years ago, um, I was working my corporate job. I just got out of college and I'm like, you know, what should I do? Like in college, I was always trying new things. I was trying to create a business. I always knew I wanted to have my own business. And so, I tried four, five, six different things in college. None of them really panned out the way I wanted to. And I worked at a company. Uh, called Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. And I I really loved it there. I loved the people working there, but I still knew that I wanted my own thing. So after work, I would always go ahead and hustle from like five to midnight and try to find the next thing that I could work on. And after a few short years of trying a bunch of different things, uh, I think you might know Antoine, but he came up to us and I was also interested in real estate because he was actually my roommate at that time. And I would see him continue to grow his portfolio, rental properties and his real estate investment business was growing as well. So I was like, man, like I want to also get into real estate and see how that works as well. And I asked him like what in real estate would help you the most in growing your business? He's like, you know, we have trouble finding deals. And a lot of times we work with wholesalers. It's not the best kind of transaction. And so we're like, okay, maybe we can start there and see how that goes, and so that was December of 2019, and I was like, all right, let's see how this all goes and see how this pans out, and I also brought in one of my friends who we've started a lot of different kinds of businesses with, and so I brought him in and I was like, let's let's try this and see how it goes out, and about a month in, I went to go ahead and like do a travel uh solo travel in Europe. <laughs> I was like I need this I need this time off to see like what I really want to do in my life. Um uh, two weeks in I get a call from Anton. He's like, "Dude, you know, things are picking up. Let's just do this full time." We're just like a month <laughs> into. Uh, I was like, "Okay. <laughs> um that actually sounds super fun. You know what? Um I'm willing to risk it all like this is what I wanted to do anyway. I think this could really, really work. We see some traction, why not? So literally while I'm on the trip to Europe, uh, solo traveling, I make a decision to quit my job. I tell my parents like, hey, uh, this is what I'm gonna do. Uh, And it's it's something that's gonna make me really, really happy, right? And so I give my two weeks notice as soon as I get back. And then from there, that's when I started doing real estate full-time into wholesaling. And, you know, obviously in the beginning, we start with zero, one deal a month right. and all the way to now where we're doing about 15 to
1: 20 deals a month. It's, it's, it's incredible that you started this literally a year and a half ago, almost to the day, maybe um, yeah. in June, and you've already scaled that much, which is super impressive. Something I want to just touch on too, you mentioned that you've you, you obviously have an entrepreneurial spirit. You said you've tried to start a few businesses in the past, and I think that's something that our listeners, me can all relate to. We've always, we've all tried to start, you know, these little things and, you know, we're always just kind of moving. We're entrepreneurs. What were some yeah. of the businesses that you started, um, before wholesaling that just, that just didn't work out?
0: Yeah. So actually I wasn't involved in real estate at all. I had no idea, you know, what real estate even was. I barely knew what a mortgage was like, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, a lot of the business that I started were more e commerce based. So I did like Shopify dropshipping for a bit. And I scaled that one actually to like a decent level. I was like, my biggest month, I think, was like $60,000 in like one wow. month. So that was big. But then the next month, you see a huge drop off to like five to 10,000. And it's like, I knew it wasn't sustainable. Um, I knew it wasn't something to go for the long term. And so that's the one thing I tried. I tried Amazon FBA. I actually tried a few things with Antoine as well for Amazon FBA. I tried it to do some affiliate marketing. I tried to start an app in college. Uh, You name it, I tried.
1: Yeah, I love it. (laughs) I love the spirit. (laughs) Yeah. So before we jump into, you know, how you got started with the wholesaling, let's actually take a quick step back. And if you can just explain what is wholesaling for those who, who think it sounds cool, but mm-hmm. what, what, you know, breaking it down, what actually is wholesaling? Sure. Sure.
0: So the simplest way I can explain it is you get a motivated seller who wants to sell their home and you negotiate a price that is more, most likely going to be below market price. And then once you get that property under contract, then you go ahead and present it to an investor. And you say, hey, here's a contract. We're going to sell it for this much. You put a spread in between. So let's say you get it under contract for about $50,000, let's say. And you go to the investor and say, hey, this is, I'm going to sell this to you for $60,000. So you make a $10,000 spread. And even with the $60,000 purchase price for the investor, they'll still make a big margin. Uh, hopefully when they either flip it or if they burr it, um, it's really up to the investors and what they want to do. Uh, but that's pretty much how wholesaling
1: Right. That that was a great explanation. And when I was first learning about all these different avenues of of real estate, it took me a little while to actually understand what wholesaling actually is. So just, I'm just going to reemphasize it again. Mm -hmm. You're basically making, getting the property under contract with the seller as if almost you were going to be the buyer, but Mm -hmm. before closing, you basically sell that contract to another investor who then finishes the closing. And you make that spread. You make a little fee, basically, or it could be a big fee between <laughs> what you originally had under contract for and what the investor is going to pay pay for.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, you send them an assignment contract to the investor, um, and from that assignment contract, it says, "Hey, the investor is going to buy uh, right. the property for this price," and all the agreements that you had in the original purchase and sale agreement gets assigned to that investor.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. So you're so you're in California, like you mentioned. Yeah. And you found inspiration to start wholesaling from Antoine Martel, who does his business in, is it Tennessee?
0: Yeah, he does it in Memphis, Tennessee and Cleveland, Ohio as well. Um, so okay. that was a big motivation because he does, you know, about 10 properties a month. So we're like, okay, maybe we can feed some deals for you um, and see how that goes.
1: Right. So break down in the very beginning. You're in California, he's yeah. in Tennessee, and you're <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to give wholesaling a shot. Yeah. What was your first, what was your first marketing strategy. What what did that look like? Mm -hmm. And what did your actual team look like at the very beginning back in December, 2019 or January, 2020? Yeah. So from the get-go,
0: I knew I didn't have time to cold call all these people. So when I was starting out wholesaling, a lot of people start off by, you know, doing cold calls and they're going to do it themselves. And so I'm, I already have like a job from 8 AM all the way to 5 PM. I knew I couldn't be the ones taking those phone calls. So what I did was we went on Upwork and hired a bunch of virtual assistants. Um, I definitely took a few cold calls on my own, created a script based on how the cold calling went. Um, And I was like, okay, I think this would be the best way for them to get something under contract with. Once we made that script, um, we tested and hired about like eight to nine uh, virtual assistants. Uh, Because I've had experience hiring people in the past. And really, like, it's one out of, you know, five to 10 people that really works out. And so we tested um, and hired about nine people from the get-go. And after a few short weeks, we saw that, you know, there's a lot of traction. And again, these are people who are just cold calling nonstop all day, uh, about 250 to 500 people per person uh, per day. And so from there, we were able to send a few contracts out. And within our first two months, we got, we got a property under contract.
1: Wow. Wow. So I just, so you went from not really know what wholesaling was. You met Antoine, you heard what he needs to, yeah. you know, to help him in his business. And you went all in. Well, I guess what was the, yep. cause most people, me included, I wouldn't just go hire nine people right away. I'd probably start with one see if it's, it works out then maybe go to two and then and then scale from there but you decided i'm gonna go all in and you hired was it all phone uh, people on the phones
0: yeah all cold calling
1: so you you decided i'm gonna go all in and hire nine cold callers right now what, yeah. what month what month was that in just so we can get perspective of of where this was in the timeline yeah so i we started
0: hiring people while while i was in europe actually so i brought my laptop <laughs> too and while i was traveling and like like hostels and stuff. I was actually hiring people as well. Um, but like, I would say it was end of December, beginning of January, 2019, wow. 2020. Wow.
1: So then did you just have in your mind, okay, I'm going to have a, basically a startup cost, just like any business really does of X amount of money. I'm going to kind of dump it in and see if it works. Was that kind of the mentality or what, Definitely. what, 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 what got you over the hump of saying, I'm just going to go all in and hire nine cold callers right now? why didn't you just start with a couple? Yeah. For me, like, because I had that
0: experience with those people, like a lot of times when you hire one or two people, chances are they're not going to work out. Um, even when I hired people in the e-commerce world before it, you really had to go through at least five or six people in order to actually find someone who's really, really good. And actually we have someone Who is with us until like two days? So he was with us from day one all the way until now, and he's just amazing in acquisitions, Um, and he's been killing it for about a year and a half. And so out of those nine to ten people, he was the person that we kept, um, and he was the one that we wanted to stick with throughout the entire journey. So
1: yeah, gotcha. Okay. So then you you hired nine out the gate. Where where is your numbers at now? Because you mentioned you know, a lot of them have fell off. You still have that one that you kept on. How many employees do you have now? And, and where are they um, around the world? Yeah, so that's a great question.
0: We have, I believe around 11 or 12 employees and we split them into two groups. So one of them is acquisitions. And so acquisition obviously is, you know, the acquisitions team is trying to get properties under contract and getting inventory for us to sell. So that's their main job. And then we also have the transaction side. Um, and in that transaction side, it's everything from when the property comes under contract and selling it to the investors and then bringing it to the closing uh, table with the title company. And I I can explain a lot more of this um, to the beginners once we go into it, but that's pretty much, um, the two teams that we currently have. And so in acquisitions, I believe we have about eight full-time employees. Um, And then in the transaction side, we just hired one. So we have four full-time employees there as
1: well. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So let's start at the very beginning of the actual, of the the business. Mm -hmm. So you have your, um, basically your marketing because you're Mm -hmm. essentially a marketing company trying to get uh, properties under contract. So starting there, what methods do you use to uh, market yourself and, and try to get these properties under contract? And, Mm -hmm. and if you can just touch on again, what team members are actually doing that initial outreach or, or inbound.
0: Sure. Sure. So we do, we try to do everything and anything, uh, prior to this company, I also try to start, uh, a marketing company. And so doing e-commerce, I ran a lot of Facebook ads. I I ran a lot of uh, marketing material to get a lot of leads. And so I was very familiar in that world. And, uh, I knew. I just know that testing is one of the most important things uh, in that field. And so for me, I would test the cold calling. I text, you know, tested texting, I'm testing postcards, literally anything that you can think of we're testing. The biggest focus that we have right now is cold calling and texting. Texting right now has been a little bit more of a trouble because there's a lot of like compliance issues um, that the government and uh, so the carriers are actually locking down on. And so we'll see how it goes from there, but we can always pivot. Uh, I'm not too worried. Right. But uh, those are the two biggest uh, acquisition models that we're doing. We have a few people in, uh, in terms of cold calling full-time. And then we have other people responding to those texts full-time as well, all day.
1: Got it, okay. So you basically have two main marketing channels. One of them being is picking up the phone and calling. The other being yeah. is, is yeah. texting those people and responding to their text, hoping to get them on the phone, um, guessing to talk about their property. Now where the people yeah. you're actually calling, how do you know who to call? Where, where are you getting the information to actually call or text these people?
0: Yeah. So initially we started, uh, buying lists from list source. That was what we initially started with, but now we found that it's actually better to go with prop stream because there's a lot every month and every day, the data changes people live right. you know people move to another place or they go to this you know here and that and so PropStream actually is able to give you updates on those lists and they're like oh yeah this person you know information is not correct anymore here's a new one and you don't get charged for that and so with list stores you have that static list and so we don't go with them anymore we actually use PropStream. Uh, but that is where we get our list to contact
1: Got it. Okay. And while we're on the topic of technology, you have, you have PropStream for data, and that's what we use as well for our business. And then you mentioned that you you text and you call. Mm-hmm. What, what platforms you use for those two um, sources?
0: Uh, it's the same one, uh, or it's the same software that we use. Uh, we use something called Alloware. Uh, that's, that's the software that we use, um, and they do pretty much all of it. Uh, a lot of different companies, Companies also do use um, or do provide like dialing system and texting and whatnot. It really depends on what provider you're comfortable going with and what is able to integrate well with whatever you're using in terms of software systems.
1: Right, right. And then so you have Alloware for texting and calling. You have PropStream for the data. And then do you also use a, any sort of CRM or any other technology?
0: Yeah, we use a Zoho CRM.
1: Zoho Z- CRM. Yeah. And was that one that you guys kind of custom built or does, do they have a template ready to go? How, how do you guys navigate your, your CRM? Yeah, so that was the toughest thing. So in the beginning,
0: initially, we were we were talking to like bigger wholesalers and we're like, what do you guys use? What do you guys use? And every single one of them said Podio. So yeah. we're like, it's gotta be Podio. Then we're gonna <laughs> have to, <laughs> let's use Podio. And then we spent months building Podio out. Um, and our one of our partners is a software engineer our software guy. And so he was able to get all that running automated, and it just looked a little wonky to me. Um, and it, it did, didn't have it didn't have the things that I wanted in terms of integrations. And so we decided, okay, podium is not for us, we're going to move to Zoho CRM. And there was no template or anything, we had to start from entirely scratch. and. God, we're still building Zoho CRM to this day. And I'm wow. actually building. Yeah, I'm adding a lot more to it right now. But uh, it's a lot better for us. And I think our team is able to manage uh, a lot more using that CRM than they would uh, if we use podia.
1: Got it. Okay. So then back to what we were talking about before with uh, you, you texted and you called, mm-hmm. like you said, hundreds, if not thousands of people per day, per person on your team. You have yeah. texting, you have callers. What happens next? You have, you have people answering. Most people don't answer the phone. Most people probably don't answer the text messages, but when they finally do, what happens next?
0: Yeah. So we pretty much have a script written for everyone for different kinds of scenarios. Some people would say, never text me again. Other people would be like, uh, what's your offer? And other people would be like, yes, I'm ready to sell. And so Really what they would do is go down the script and say, it's pretty simple. I mean, you can really find these scripts anywhere online if you type in like wholesaling uh, script, but pretty much we just ask them, you know, how many bed and baths, uh, you know, or confirm the bed and baths. And then you wanna see like, you know, when was the roof last update or kitchen last updated? Um, Ask them questions like, you know, is there a renter in there or is it vacant? And then once we get all that information, uh, we pretty much have like a system to spit out a number, uh, a range of numbers that we can go ahead and offer the seller and they'll go ahead and negotiate from there and see if we can get that property under contract.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So just a small step back, Mm -hmm. you have all these questions that you, that you want to get answered in order to get this number. Do you ask those questions all through the, through the phone or do you do it on text sometimes? What's kind of your strategy there?
0: Uh, we do whatever the person on the other side wants to do. So if they're like, call me, okay, we'll call you. If they say, you know, just keep it. I'm at work. Just text me, yeah. text you. So it really depends on that other person. We're really flexible. It doesn't really matter. Uh, for me, the conversion is more or less the same. Uh, if they're motivated to sell, they have a number in their head and they're ready to go. So,
1: right. Okay. So you get all the information that you guys need on your end. And then you have the software on the back end to spit out an offer. And I'm guessing, or I guess let me ask you this. What goes into that offer or that software, that automation that spits out a number? What kind of, kind of factors actually plug into that?
0: Yeah, so it's a few things. We we ask the questions like how old is your kitchen and bath? And we account that in the final price. We right. account whether or not the property has been vacant or it's tenanted. And we definitely add that into the repair budget and whatnot. There's no way that we can get a good number there or like a right. accurate number. So we do our best to guesstimate. Um, and then we also have a lot of information that we get from investors that they were able to say like, oh, usually if with this price range, it's about like 20 grand for repairs. Oh, it's going to be like 15 if it's vacant. Um, but if, or if an owner's living there, if it's owner occupied, it might be like 15 grand for repairs. And so we took all those things into account and kind of built a system to spit out those offers.
1: Okay, got it. So then your VAs are all doing this mm-hmm. either through text or through call, and they're plugging in all the information, they spit out a number, and Offers, like you said, they're sent through either the phone or the text message, right? Whatever they want. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And, and then and then negotiations start from there. So being being a wholesaler and mm-hmm. and wholesaling in general, you need to have a margin that is mm-hmm. that that makes you guys money and also is going to make the fix and flipper or the next investor money as well. Yeah. So typically, the the offer that you guys are offering is going to be. Pretty low, right? To, yeah. fair, fair to say. Very, yeah, very fair. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess how, how, what's, wh- what happens after that typically when you guys spit out an offer, typically I'm guessing it's lower mm-hmm. than what they had in mind. Maybe, maybe not. What I guess what happens after the offer spit out? So once the offer spit out, honestly, I mean, if it's
0: within the range and they say I can go with this price, then we'll be like, okay we do something like, Hey, let me go talk to my manager or something and see if that works. Cause if you just hop on it, they're going to be like, Oh, I didn't get a good deal. And that's right. how the human mind works. Like as soon, you know, if you see something on a shoe store or whatever, and it's selling at retail price, then it's like, well, I'm not getting a good deal, but if they actually raise that shoe price to like 70 instead of 60, and then they right. put, you know, 10% off and then it's actually 60, but it's the same price you're paying. You still think you got a deal because there was some kind of conflict there right and so that's the situation we kind of want to create too um and from there uh we'll be like okay uh yeah that price looks good i think we can do this um we will talk about like closing costs and whatnot as well to see if we're going to cover the whole thing or if we're going to split it in half that's some that's a conversation that we have with the seller as well uh majority of the time we can uh cover the entire closing costs uh but if they're willing to split that's even better right and so we try to do that um and then from there, we send them the purchase and sale agreement. Uh, you know, we send it through something called Zoho sign. Uh, it's pretty much like DocuSign dot loop. It's pretty, you know, it's like any virtual document signing uh, tool. And we send it from there. They sign it. We sign it on our end and then it goes to title.
1: Okay. Got it. So a few, a few things I want to break down in that process. Number mm-hmm. one. You haven't seen the property. So you, first of all, you're in California. Just to emphasize, yeah. you're in California. That yeah. These properties are in Tennessee, they're in Ohio, and Missouri. Yeah. Where, where are your VAs at again?
0: Uh, so a lot of them are in the Philippines. We actually hired a manager for the transaction side. Like, he's in Baltimore. Um, okay. So, but most of them are in the Philippines, especially if they're doing acquisitions.
1: Okay, got it. So you have, you know, people literally in the Philippines, mm-hmm. they're plugging in the information. Yeah, They are... know getting the formula together spitting out a number yeah they they they, the the seller accepts Mm -hmm. the the offer on a text or the phone Mm -hmm. so then they go ahead and send them an offer from thousands of miles away which is insane how yeah how 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 that can happen (laughs) i know um so my question is so first of all i'm sure a lot of people are asking how the 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 trust factor that they're actually putting a, a Property under contract. Is it under like your name is under Rocket Offer?
0: Yeah, we do it on the Rocket Offer.
1: Right. So, is it? Do you ever get nervous or any types of you know feelings that you have people across the country putting it, putting properties under contract under your company's name? Does that does that ever were you any concerns there? Initially, I was.
0: Uh, but the more and more I did this, I really it, it's it does it's not a big deal to me. Well, yeah. First of all, there's something called like an inspection uh, period when you get something on a contract with a seller. And so during that inspection period, you can always back out from the contract and get your earnest money back. And right. so a lot of ways that you can actually back out from the contract, which we actually haven't had to do for, I would say 90% of our, our properties, we were yeah. able to move and close. So that's really good for us. Um, but That inspection contingency or period really, really eases our mind too, because it's like, okay, if we have to, then we can let go of the property with no consequences whatsoever, which is one of the reasons why I love wholesaling too, because, you know, if you're fixing and flipping homes, or if you are burying them, it takes a long time to either right. sell to the other investor, it takes maybe, you know, three months, four months. That's pretty average for flip. Right. And uh, in wholesaling, it's like 30 days turnaround. Um, and then you can get out in the inspection period. It's, you know, you really don't have to have too much money or capital in order to get started um, when you're starting in the wholesaling real estate world. So that's why I like it as well.
1: Right. No, that, that, that makes total sense. Have you had a, a property go under contract that was way that was way off of the, the numbers that oh, yeah. you guys could realistically pay. And if you can kind of talk through that, what, what happened there?
0: Oh yeah. We've had that a few times. We are like, man, how are we going to sell these? So <laughs> some of the craziest thing is like, we would get a property under contract that we think is a killer deal. I was like, I'm I'm going to buy this myself if I had the money, or if I could just pour money into this, I'm going to buy this deal myself. And no one buys it and no one buys them. It's like, I don't understand. The numbers look amazing. Maybe we didn't market it correctly, but in my head, it's a great deal. And then we get another deal that's like way overpriced, but in my head, and it's like, well, it's quite close to ARV. It is in good condition, but it's it's almost market value, but people just jump on it. So it's really difficult to tell what property. I don't even go with my gut feeling anymore. I just let the market kind of tell me, this is the good. This is a good property. I don't even judge for myself. So whatever mm-hmm. property that we get, even if I think it's slightly above market value, or if if I think it's higher than what we think we should have got it for, I still try to market them out because a lot of times you never know. And um, that was the case with a lot of our properties too, that I thought was a little bit high. But in some cases, yeah, they are a lot higher than they need to be. So something that we always do for our properties, um, because a lot of our investors are also out of state, we introduced them to like property management companies, insurance companies, you know, lenders, contractors, that needed. Uh, so that way they have boots on the ground that they can go ahead and utilize, um, especially because a lot of them are from California, you know, expensive cities like New York and whatnot. Right. And it's hard to invest in California, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so we introduce them to the boots on the ground. They do Do their own due diligence, we ask them to, Um, and then we also do inspections, which a lot of wholesalers I don't believe do. And so with that inspection report, we can go back to the homeowner be like, hey, actually, you know, this, this and that the repair was a lot more than we thought it would be. And so could we, you know, could we negotiate a lower price to see if we can compensate for that because it's a lot more than we thought. Um, and so that's how we do it. And if we really can't sell it, then we'll be, we'll straight up tell the homeowner, like, you know, it's just a little bit higher than we thought we could get it for. So I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to pull through with the deal. I hope you find another investor that can go with you. So that's kind of how we work. Um, and we try to close on every single property that we can, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way.
1: Right. Right. So one of the, one of the big questions I have is how do you actually bring up to the seller? That you're going to be wholesaling the deal is that a conversation? If so, how does that actually come about? What 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 do you what do you guys say to ease the seller's mind?
0: Yeah, so we say we work with a, a partner of investors, and so that way, when there's assignment contracts and things involved, they're not freaked out about it. And actually, a lot of the investors that we do have have bought from us second time around, and so we do consider all the investors kind of like our partners, and so that way, that's how we market it to the sellers um, without being like too shady uh, about it. And honestly, we try to stay as transparent as possible to both sides. And so with the seller, if they're like, you know what, this doesn't seem, or like if they're like, do you really think you can close in 30 days? If I really don't think we can, I'll be like, you know what? It doesn't seem like we can. We have other properties we have to move. I'm sorry. We're not going to be able to move forward. Right. It's not fair to the seller too if we're just being greedy and trying to keep those properties when we know we can't sell it. Right. Uh, and just kind of wishing and hoping and hail marrying it. So <laughs> for me, I just want to be upfront and be like, Hey, we tried everything that we could, but I don't think we can make it work and then let them go and find another investor. If we can't, um, we also tr- something that we recently started doing was we also started reaching out to like real estate agents in our field. And we're like, Hey, do you want this lead? He's looking to sell. It's a little bit above, you know, uh, what we can offer them or it's, you know, market price maybe you can work with them and see if they can do something. Right. So that way they're not just left in the dark, but they have someone else that they can go ahead and work with.
1: Right, right. No, that, that that's awesome. So after you get the contract signed, it's now time to look for a buyer because he, you know, that's, yeah. that's what needs to happen for you guys to get paid, of course. So when you guys look for that buyer, again, you're still across the country. How do you get, and you said, you said you do get an inspection done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about pictures um, I guess what's the process of actually marketing that property to Mm -hmm. your, to your list of investors?
0: Sure. So we first send it out to our investors and if they like it, then we'll be like, okay, great. Um, you can go ahead and go into the property with our inspector and our inspector, they're, they're a licensed inspector. We pay for it upfront. The investors don't have to pay for it. It's completely free. And our inspector also takes pictures and walk through videos if the tenant allows them, if there is a tenant. Um, and then so we have the pictures, the video, and the inspection report, and then we can give that to our investors so they have a full transparent view of the property. It's not like we're embellishing anything. It's like, here it is. <laughs> right. This is, this, this is uh, however much we know and however much you know, you know as well.
1: Right. So, so then you, you send that out to the list of, of buyers and you have your inspector that goes in, takes pictures, kind of does the boots on the ground work. And then what about all these wholesalers? I'm sure you get you know dozens who say, hey, I want to see the property with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. How do you schedule showings?
0: Yeah, so it depends uh, if it's vacant and if there's a lockbox code. Then we make sure that we get like a proof of funds from the buyer side so that we know that they're not just going to go in there and just take a walk in the property and just leave. We know that they're serious and they're willing to move forward um, if they need to. Once we get the proof of funds, then we let them walk through the property. Um, and then if it is tenanted, obviously we can't let too many people in. So we try to cap it at like maybe three people, which is why we only take the strong offers and let them in. And um once they go in, we'll be like, Hey, how was the showing? It was everything good. And then we'll see if we can move it to the closing table from there.
1: Got it. And is your inspector, the one also putting the lockbox on the door as well?
0: Uh, no, a lot of times the homeowners can do that. Um, if they, you know, if they're close by the property, um, other times there are already lockboxes in place. And if not, I'll just hire someone on the ground to do that for us. So
1: And how how do you, how do you hire someone on the ground? Just curious. You, is that another website you use Facebook? How do you find someone on the ground for that?
0: So I have a lot of contacts from my Instagram as well. A lot of people will be like, Hey, if you need anything in Cleveland, let me know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love people. Like people are so friendly and people are so like helpful. They really do their best to help. And that's why I want to do the same too. If I can help in any way, I would love to. Um, and so they're like, yeah, let me know if you need this, this and that. Um, you know, in Cleveland. uh, And I have a realtor, a few realtors that I work with and hit up if I ever need something. Um, One of them actually even went to a property for me where there's a squatter to check out that situation. Um, Obviously I compensate them for everything that they do, but um, yeah, a lot of them are willing to help me. If not, you know, there's Craigslist, there's TaskRabbit, and those are the places that I would most likely go next to get those things done.
1: Right. Okay, cool. So to finish up the transaction, you found, you know, you, you have the showings, you found the buyer mm-hmm. and they, you guys agreed on a price. Mm-hmm. What is the, what, 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 goes, what's next from there? Cause obviously you're signing the contract. Yeah. So what actually happens after you and the new investor agree on the price? Yeah. So
0: then once we agree on the price, we send the golden ticket, the assignment contract, right. And then we send that assignment contract to the buyer and if everything looks good on their end, then we get the signed copy and we send it over to the title company. And I, in my mind, I think a good title company is one of the most important things to have because they're the ones that are actually going to close on that deal for you.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And with this assignment contract, is the, is the seller like, looking at the price, what do they actually get to see on this, on this assignment contract?
0: So the seller doesn't really see the assignment contract. It's really just with... It's between us and the investor, and it's a piece of paper that pretty much says, you know, this original purchase and sale agreement contract is going to be assigned to this investor for this LLC if they have any, and um, it has a few stipulations like the earnest money needs to be sent in within twenty four hours, and it's going to be you know three thousand dollars, and it's going to be this this and that. Um, you are not able to go in the property anymore because you've gone in. All those things are in the assignment contract. Um, that way we can keep ourselves protected. And then from there, we wait until the title company reaches out to the investor to get all the information they need, collect the earnest money deposit, which is really big because that really shows that the investor is going to move forward with it. And then from there, we go ahead and leave it up to title to close. And we'll just follow up with both the seller and investor to get that transaction
1: Gotcha. Okay. So is the closing then a virtual closing?
0: Oh uh, yeah, it is.
1: Okay. So at, at the virtual closing, is the seller, do they ever get surprised, caught off guard, or are they pretty much well-informed what's going on and that there's a new buyer actually buying the property?
0: So our title company is able to split the HUD statements. So there's a seller's HUD and there's a buyer's HUD. And so on the seller's HUD, it has exactly what they would be getting purchase price that we agreed to that's what they're making and closing costs or whatever and on the investor side they have a new price that we have with investors and so you know the seller and buyer sees completely two different huds um, and that way we really have no uh, questions from the sellers no question for the buyers everything looks good they both confirm on each of those huds hud statements and um yeah, we haven't really had a problem with that
1: so then is the title company the one who cuts you guys a check then?
0: Yeah. So the title company can wire us the funds or send us a check. It doesn't really matter. It depends on what you prefer. Then they're the ones who are going to disperse the funds to every single party. So the sellers, the buyers and us.
1: Got it. Okay. And then you guys have successfully completed the transaction yep. and you're on to the next, right? That's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the A to Z of everything. Is there anything we missed going along uh, the process? We
0: also try to send like gifts to our investors, except, especially if it's their first time purchasing the property. Uh, we send them gifts and say, thank you for purchasing the property. We really want the investors to come back and buy a second time around, third time around, and continue investing with us for the long term. Um, we don't see any transaction as a one-off transaction. We really want to make make sure that we're giving everything that we possibly can because sometimes it is hard when you're wholesaling properties like you don't know everything about it so we always ask our investors to do their own due diligence but we do everything that we can in our end to make sure that it's a pleasant uh it's a pleasant process and that you know when an investor purchases a property from us they feel good about it so that's our main goal Um, and making sure that the seller is also very, very comfortable in terms of, you know, the entire transaction process as well. So we keep in touch with the sellers and buyers every two, three days just to make sure that they're in good hands.
1: Right. Okay. Awesome. Uh, So a few few common objections. I'd love to hear some common objections you guys get from doing this all virtual. Um, A few that I'm thinking of off my top of the head and that we get when we're contacting sellers is a lot of them say, do you want to schedule a time to see the property or when are you going to come by? They, they actually like, from my experience, they want you to come, they want you to see it yeah. they, because they're, 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 they're in a situation where they need to sell typically. Mm-hmm. And they, in their mind, they're like, all right, you got to come see the property. How do you guys handle that objection?
0: Yeah, we say as soon as we sign the purchase and sale agreement, we're going to go ahead and schedule an inspection maybe a week out to make sure that our inspector has ample time. Because a lot of times, you know, they're super busy. So it has to be about a week ahead. And most sellers are like, yeah, that makes sense. And then we'll go ahead and schedule it for that time. Uh, we'll try to do all our marketing before then. So if any buyers do want to go in, we can make sure that they get in. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what we do.
1: And then do you guys have, and then what what's the contract period you guys do a 30-day close or how long is that closing period
0: yeah 30-day close
1: gotcha mm-hmm. okay okay so that, that was any other big objections that you guys face that, that come to come to mind mm,
0: i think the biggest objection that we get is like are you really going to be able to close that's that's always uh the question that we get and so we're always like look like if we show you that there's an earnest money going into the property like we've signed this agreement with you and if we really can't make something happen we'll hundred percent tell you immediately and then the sellers get really comfortable because we really do try to be as transparent as possible
1: right right okay that makes total sense so what's your biggest tip for a newbie you know you started this only a year and a half ago so you're actually relatively new to whole New to the industry, although you're absolutely Definitely. crushing it, and you're 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 farther ahead than than people have been in the industry longer. You've been you've been crushing it, doing fifteen to twenty wholesales a month, which is mind blowing. But for someone just starting out, who's who's inspired by you and inspired by your story, inspired by wholesaling, they want to they want to get started. Mm-hmm. What's the first couple of steps that you recommend? Actionable steps that someone can take to get started.
0: Yeah, so I I always give all the new beginners who want to get into wholesaling the same exact simple steps and process on how I think they should go buy it, uh, about it, because that's how I would have wanted to start my wholesaling journey. So the very first thing that I always tell people is find an investor in a market that you want to go into first and find someone who's doing a good amount of volume. They're maybe buying three properties a month. Even one property a month is huge. right? And so find someone who's doing that kind of volume, who knows the market really well and ask them questions about what kind of properties that they're looking for. What's the square footage? What's the bed and bath? What's the price range they're looking for? And that way you have a buyer from the get-go and you're not promising them anything. right? You're not being like, because I know a lot of wholesalers, they'll go out and just be like, who wants to be on my buyer's list? And it's like, well, why would they want to be on your buyer's list? First of right. all, <laughs> second of all, you've never gotten a property under contract. So people don't know that you're actually going to be able to get them properties. And third, like if you're a new wholesaler, most likely you're going to get properties on contract at the wrong prices. Uh, and so I would say find an experienced investor first and go from there and really, really learn about the market and the price and everything. The second thing,
1: mm-hmm. you go ahead, go ahead.
0: So the second thing I would say, the second step is to find a good title company that you can work with. And so if you find a good title company that can work with good, you know, wholesalers, you can also ask them a lot of questions. You can ask them and say, Hey, can you send me? Cause, People are like, where do I get my contracts? And right. I just tell them, ask the title company. They can give it to you. <laughs> or download one from Google. You can literally type purchase and sell agreement in Missouri. And it'll come up. And then you just send it to the title company and be like, hey, do you guys accept this? If they say yes, great, it works. So that's something to look out for too. And my second step would be find a good title company that you can connect and work with. And then finally, the third step is to go and purchase a, le- uh, you know, a list. I would say pick the lowest hanging fruits when you're just beginning because you don't wanna spend thousands on lists that you don't know if you're gonna get anything back from. So I would say buy like absentee owners list, buy like high equity, um, almost pre-foreclosure lists. Um, those might be good too. We buy like everything and anything. Uh, because we've gotten to a point where that's just not enough for us. But if you're just getting started, I would say narrow down on that list, buy those lists, skip trace them. You can, you know, if you just type in skip tracing on Google, you'll find a lot of people doing it Um, and then skip trace those lists and then go from there. And then the fourth step would be to actually get a property on a contract. The fifth step would be to then go ahead and find a buyer, right? Which you've already connected with at that point And then you can bring it to closing with the title company. So it comes like all in a full circle. Um, When you go through those steps.
1: Right, right, right. No, that's perfect explanation. And then just to give the the new investors, the newbies, a little bit of a glimpse as to, okay, I'm doing all this work. It sounds super exciting. I can do 10 to 20 deals a month, whatever it may be. What's the actual um, profit or what's the actual amount of uh, uh, an assignment fee? Can you just give a glimpse as to, what that could look like on maybe the the low end, the high end, and maybe the average? Man, it's super,
0: that's that's a great question. (laughs) So, you know, we've made as low as like $900 on an assignment because we wanted to make sure the property closes, not only for the seller, but also for the buyer as well. So we're like, we're not going to make anything on this, but it's for those two parties. And if we give them good deals and if we make things happen, then more will come to us later. So it's like that abundance mentality, but it can go as high as like 15 grand or 18 grand. Uh, we're closing one, uh, this Friday, which is supposed to be for like $18,000. And so, you know, on the other spectrum, yeah, you can make a good amount. I know some wholesalers make like 50,000 or hundred thousand, those are most likely in the higher ARV areas, which we're not really in, like maybe California or so, um, where they can make, you know, half a million on a flip, but in in areas that we are, that's not really the case. It's more like, you know, 20, 30 grand that you can make on a flip maybe. So our wholesale assignment is going to be around, you know, 10 to 15,000, five, five to 15,000 would be a good range. I would say. Right.
1: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Any last things you want to mention about wholesaling getting started before we move on to the next section of our show? Yeah, sure. So
0: I think the last thing I want to add on to is I think wholesaling is a great way to get started in real estate investing. It taught me a lot with very minimal risk. Cause if you're going in there initially to flip, a property, there is definitely more of a risk because you have more capital in there. You know, things could go absolutely wrong. Your contractors could be horrible, right? And so there's a lot of risk going in there. Uh, The upside could be very, very good though. Um, But wholesaling, you know, there's very, very minimal risk to it. Um, Obviously there's a ton of work to be done in terms of mark, it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? So there's a lot of hustle and work that you need to put in. But if you do put in that work, I think you will see the fruits of your labor, but it might take, you know, everyone's different. Some people can get their first wholesale deal in a month, or it might take you six months to a year. It really depends on the market you're in, how much volume you're doing. Uh, Right. But for me, my advice is, if you're even just remotely interested in real estate estate investing, look into wholesaling. Um, But also like, any t- any other types of real estate investing it doesn't matter if it's wholesaling it doesn't even matter if it's you know fixing and flipping i think just get into real estate in general it's going to it's going to help you in the long term to have all these tools under your belt so that you can go ahead and create wealth for the future
1: right awesome awesome so hayato we're now going to move on to the next section of our show which is known as the big 4 and this is where we ask all of our guests the same four questions so to start right out What's your number one habit for success?
0: I think the number one habit is consistency uh, and consistent action. So for me, like, I guess I've been working on businesses for about you know six to eight years, like continuously. And from there you fail a lot. You fail miserably sometimes,
1: <laughs> but
0: you learn a lot from those failures, right? And uh, that's what I didn't really like about school: is they're like, "Oh, if you fail, that's it; that's your grade for that." You know, there's no way to redeem yourself or recover and be like, "Okay, now I actually know those things." It's more like, "Yeah, you failed; that's it." But in real life, you actually get to fail, and you actually get to learn from those mistakes and actually improve upon those mistakes that you made. And so for me, taking that consistent action, failing a lot, having those iterations allowed me to continue pushing and getting better and better each day. And that's what I would say. The number one biggest factor or biggest habit that I think is the most helpful is, which is consistent action.
1: Right now love it. Super important for sure. Mm -hmm. So question number two, limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life?
0: So for me, I idolized a lot of people. Um, I, I idolized a lot of entrepreneurs. I played soccer when I was a kid um, and I still do to this day. I, I love it. I, I would die if I, if I didn't get to play. Um, and then from what I saw is, you know, when I saw people that were way, way ahead of me in terms of where they were at and where I wanted to be. My beliefs were like, man, how how am I ever gonna get there? And that was a really strong limiting belief for me. But then there were chances where I actually got to speak with those people in those higher level playing fields, right? So, like in my university, we ha- I was very ha- like I was very uh, cherished to have a professor who actually was the founder of Kinkos. So Paul orford was one of the, you know, professors that I was able to actually talk with and speak with, get some ideas off. And I was like, man, like, I think I can do it too. And I spoke to a lot of different entrepreneurs and CEOs as well during my time of internships and whatnot. And every time I spoke to them, I was like, I can do this. Like, I, I can do it. Uh, and from there, by talking to those people, by reaching out, by seeing what those people did and actually getting a perspective of their what they're doing, I was able to get confidence and I was like, okay, if I keep doing what I'm doing, if I keep learning and taking consistent action, I will be able to get to where they are um, and actually absolutely crush it. So for me, it was, was seeing other people do it and confirming that I can do it as well.
1: Right, 100%, that's, that's something huge. And like you said, it's actually being, connected with those people, surrounding yourself with those people, that will just accelerate it even more and help you crush them faster. So that's awesome oh, yeah. that you were able to do that as well. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So question number three is where do you see yourself in your business in five to 10 years?
0: Great question. So I have big dreams, right? <laughs> I want to push this company. I want to push our wholesaling company as far as I possibly can. So my goal is to go nationwide within, you know, five to 10 years, I want to aggressively open markets every two months or so, and really, really be known as the place to go to get properties. So if any fix and flipper, if they're getting if you're new investors, if they're experienced investors, it doesn't even matter. They could just go to us and, you know, get a property and really, really grow the company go nationwide. That's my ultimate goal. And from there, I definitely do want to dabble into other parts of real estate. Maybe we'll touch into, you know, maybe fix and flips. Uh, Personally, I want to buy like apartment buildings. That's my, that's one of my goals as well. Um, And work on my wealth and passive income as well as growing the business. So that's my main goal. But if you are talking like 10, 15, 20 years down the line, I'm really, (laughs) I'm really big on like sustainability. So. For me, I want to create a company in the long term in twenty years. Once I've built like a big, uh, big enough company that can run on its own, I would love to start sustainable companies um, that can actually provide big value to the world as well. And I think real estate would get me there. And this, you know, rocket offer and this wholesaling company, I think will take me there.
1: Right, love it. I, I think it will too. You guys are just a year and a half in, absolutely crushing it. And I know within the next literally a couple of months, maybe in weeks, you guys are just going to keep growing and growing. So no doubt that, that you're going to get there. So then my last question, yeah. So my last question, (laughs) question number four is what's one message you want to leave the listeners?
0: One message I want to leave the listeners is don't be scared to fail, just continue learning as you go. I know a lot of people get stuck into the mentality, like I need to know everything before I start. When I started wholesaling real estate, I knew absolutely nothing. I, I promise you, I knew nothing. I asked people so many questions to until I actually understood it. So I think that's something that's really important too, to ask questions until you finally get it. Um, I was kind of shy in high school and stuff. I never really asked questions. And then I regretted it because it's like, it's actually, you know, it's actually dumber to not ask a question and never know the answer than to be dumb for 30 seconds and then actually get the answer right away. And then you're dumb for 30 seconds, but you know it now. So for me, it's asking those hard questions, getting, uh, always improving and taking that consistent action like I talked about. So I think that's the most important thing.
1: Wow, so key, and I love love what you just said. It's you're better off asking the questions, being embarrassed or stupid for thirty seconds, and and knowing the right answer rather than not ask, not still not know. And now now you're actually still you know behind on the knowledge of what you want to know. So super important. Totally agree. Just ask those questions. There's really not no such thing as a dumb question. Exactly. You might you, you, might, you might feel like it's a silly question, and sometimes you know. It might be more obvious than not, but at the end of the day, you're better off just knowing the answer, getting the 20 seconds of embarrassment out of the way. So totally agree with you on that. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So Hayato, (laughs) where can the listeners get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, so I'm pretty active on Instagram and TikTok. Um, My username is kind of weird. It's Uh, (laughs) H-A-Y-A-N-T-O-O-O. It's because like when I was playing soccer in Singapore and stuff, my coach used to call me like Hayato. He couldn't say my name. So <laughs> I just kept it going, <laughs> uh, but yeah, users can reach me at, uh, uh, reach me there. Uh, they can also reach me via email uh, or, I mean, yeah, email or social media. I think that's the best way that they can reach me at.
1: Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, Hi, I really appreciate you coming on today. I learned a ton. I think it's just incredible. I'm still mind blown that the, the amount that you've grown in a year and a half, the fact that you're in California, Your employees are in the Philippines. You're killing it in, you know, the central part of the United States. It's just, it's mind blowing. I'm super excited to see where you go from here. I know you're going to absolutely crush it, expand in the markets. And I just, you know, thank you again for sharing your knowledge and, and your experience with me and my listeners.
0: No, I appreciate it so much, Bailey. Thank you so much for having me on this show. And if anyone has any questions, I'm more than happy to help. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.